There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast. Steve is back from his holiday and will later in the episode be giving a bit of an update of what happened on his holiday. In addition to that, we're going to be talking about the Alpha Cool fan testing Igor's lab situation. You may or may not be familiar with what's going on there. We sort of give our perspective and opinion on that. A little bit of chat about a few news topics, rumor topics that have been happening, as well as our favorite releases of 2023. So we looked at all the products, hardware that we tested that were new this year, found out that maybe not as many things were interesting as we might have first thought. So our favorite releases of the year. So yeah, big episode, lots of things to cover. Let's get straight into it. It's good to be back on the Hard Brown Box podcast with Steve here, um, back from his holiday. How are you going? Good. I'd like to say I'm revitalized and refreshed, but I'm probably a lot worse for wear than when I actually left, which I guess is what happens a lot of the time <laughs> when you go on like a two-week holiday. Uh, but yeah, had a few things go. I guess we'll talk about um, my my ups and downs over the last few weeks at the end of the podcast when we talk about the personal stuff, our boring lives, which, yeah, I've kind of ruined that segment because I went away and did a thing. So maybe that's not as boring. What's going on there? I think you've you really sullied the podcast with your holiday. That's not what Hard Run Box is about, holidays. I, I promise I won't do it again for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I enjoyed speaking to Simon from TFT Central last week in your absence. I thought that was a good episode for Monitor fans. And obviously this week we're back to talk about PC hardware and various different things that are going on. And I'm going to start this week with, I've got it listed here in my notes as a scandal. That's probably too much of a too much of a strong word. It's not, not really a scandal, but it was just an interesting thing that one of our Discord community members brought up in our podcast channel, which I'd never heard of up until this like a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And this is Igor's lab and testing of an alpha cool fan and the dodgy results and sort of handling of that situation that has since come about. So th- a lot of what we're about to talk about is based on uh, what has been posted on the Igor's lab website, as well as coverage from Debauer's YouTube channel. So over on yeah, the Debauer channel, he's got a video, which at least the English version is sort of this 
quite impressively AI translated mm. in parts video that takes the German, takes it into English, um, and sort of goes through what has happened in this saga. So before we discuss that, I thought I'll give a brief summary of the situation, um, just so that if you're not familiar with what's going on, you can just very quickly get up to speed. I haven't looked into this super in-depth, so this is my sort of more surface-level assessment. But basically, a couple of months ago, Igor's lab reviewed an AlphaCool Apex Stealth Metal fan, and the testing showed pretty significant performance increases over existing fans of a similar type, so you know, Noctua fans, things like that, you know, in pretty key components like airflow and noise. And they were showing things like up to a 2x improvement in, in noise performance and airflow you know, increasing performance through very thick radiators and some pretty strange results. So the review ended up calling it a revolution in the fan market because the performance was really unlike anything that has been seen before. So lots of people pre-ordered this fan based on the test results and review. Then a couple of, I don't know, months later when the fan was sort of more widely available, other reviewers were getting their hands on it, including DeBauer and several other outlets. And they tested the fan, discovered that it wasn't significantly better than competing products. So they found contradictory results to the initial Eagles Lab review and found that it was just sort of a standard to good fan, depending on the outlet. So, yeah, when these other reviewers started pointing out this discrepancy to Eagles Lab, um, this is where things sort of get off the rails a little bit in terms of the response. So, First of all, it turns out that the review was not written by Igor, who owns the website. It was written by someone else, but published under Igor's name. So it was reviewed by an employee, Pascal, um, who I guess Igor kind of throws under the bus at times in the responses. But yeah, there's there was lots of standing by the initial weird results, explaining away the conclusion through you know trivial discrepancies, didn't really explain why a fan would suddenly be twice the performance of other fans. And then the reviewer, Pascal, he created a separate video in response to the criticism, which was a very bizarre video. And Debau really breaks it down in his video, talking about how, you know, this this video really doubles down on the testing, says things like, you know, because he's done 50 other correct reviews that this other review must be correct, kind of mocks in in a way the buyers of the fans saying that you know it's just a fan it's not a big deal kind of baiting criticism and all while this is happening alpha has sort of used that initial review for marketing purposes sort of saying well you know Igor's labs tested this it's third party testing it's a really good fan and yeah as it currently stands i believe Igor has agreed to retest the fan and is currently evaluating the review setup and everything that that's going on um so as of us recording this podcast, it's, that's currently where it stands. DeBauer's video, I believe, came out a, about a day prior to us recording this. And yeah, it just is one of those, you know, something goes wrong and then it's handled poorly situations that I think we probably have a few thoughts about based on, you know, how we do things and what we would do in this sort of situation. So mm-hmm. yeah, how, how familiar are you with what's been going on, Steve? Uh, well, I'm about as familiar as you are by the sounds of it. I had no idea about any of this until you actually messaged me about it yesterday mm-hmm. morning. So I thought I'd watch DeBauer's video. Funnily enough, I watched most of DeBauer's review of the Apex Stealth Metal fan. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of missed the stuff towards the end. I was more interested in how the fan performs. And yeah, I, I watched uh, the results didn't seem to be anything remarkable. Um, didn't pay too much attention to it. I was just more interested in the whole metal fan thing. Uh, and then, yeah, yesterday I watched DeBauer's video about the handling. I, I didn't even know Igor's lab had actually reviewed it. So 
it's not something we haven't seen before. This sort of, I don't know what we, what you called it a scandal, but um, this situation where a reviewer has put out a review that's clearly incorrect uh, and then hasn't handled it well when it's been brought to their attention. Yeah, it's it, it's happened before. I mean, yeah, there's been many times that there's been just generally incorrect reviews that have been published and everyone makes mistakes. It's fine. You know, it's it, it really does depend on how you handle it that sort of makes or breaks, you know, the impact of that um, incorrect review. So, yeah, there's been plenty of people that make mistakes in testing and things. And, yeah, I think this sort of situation is... I don't know. I wasn't, at least based on the Debao video, I wasn't super impressed with, yeah, the handling of things. But as you say, it's not unusual for someone to not back down immediately when it comes to things mm-hmm. being pointed out, especially from other independent reviewers and sort of, you know, standing by your own testing. You know, that's just human nature in some ways. But yeah, I think in, in this instance, it probably went a bit too far in that regard. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a tough one, right? Because as you've said, Mistakes are easy to make, especially with this really complicated testing, uh, especially when there's no other data to, to fall back on as a, as a reference mm-hmm. point, which is why we often get review guides with new GPUs and CPUs, just so we have a rough idea of where it should be. doesn't mean we necessarily have to copy their results or get the exact same results, but it, it's a guide as to where, you know, roughly where it should be based on a certain set of parameters. So you can forgive the results being wrong to a degree but when you test a fan and it's twice as good as other leading fans like that is a revolution in fan technology there needs to be something really radically new that easily mm-hmm. you know shows why it's so much better and if the, if there isn't that if it's just like a steel frame or whatever like what it, what is a I, I imagine it's aluminium what is an aluminium frame like housing What's that doing that a plastic housing isn't doing that can 2x the performance? Yeah, it seems uh, <laughs> unlikely, doesn't it? It's a bit of a red flag. I, I don't know what that could be, but it would need some sort of explanation, I guess is what I'm trying to say, um, mm-hmm. as to why that would be. So straight away in your own testing, that should raise a red flag as to, hang on a minute, what the hell? Like I've tested things before and the frame rate ends up being way higher than it should be. And straight away that raises a red flag. In my mind... I've got an idea of where it should be based on specifications. And then when it massively exceeds that or falls well short of that uh, expectation, then I go dig into the settings and, oh, look, frame generations just magically turned itself on, which is a new fun Mm -hmm. thing that games tend to do these days, or DLSS enables itself despite the fact that it's grayed out or, you know, all these other various bugs that we now run into when benchmarking games because of these new technologies. So you've got to be on the lookout for that. Uh, so yeah, that, like I said, red flag there already. They probably should have caught that themselves. So yeah, as we're not saying that you can't make mistakes, but when you make mistakes, you sort of hope they're small mistakes or there was some sort of weird mm-hmm. bug that caught you out. And we don't know what the problem was with their test setup and how they got these very unrealistic results. But they did. They published them. They were there for a long time, and then other people tested them, and. Yeah, surprise, surprise, it turns out that the unrealistic results were unrealistic, didn't reflect the true performance of the product. Mm-hmm. And even that in itself, it's like, well, that's a bit of a hit to the credibility. That's very unfortunate. I'd actually feel sorry for them in that scenario because you know they didn't have a reference point uh, and even dumb mistakes can be made. 
you usually it's the dumbest mistakes that you sort of tend to make are the most embarrassing ones. But then when it's 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 known, you sort of go into panic mode and you're like, okay, we've got to correct this as best we can. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, Im- improve the situation here, make everyone aware that we messed up and and retract the review, probably delete that straight away and post a statement saying that the testing was wrong. Uh, based on you know, more independent testing, it seems like the fans' performance is more typical of what we've seen from other high-end fans and walk it back a bit and then retest it and republish, which is, yeah, not what they've done, which is what's caused the the scandal, as you put it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things that I see about this. And, yeah, the... Immediately, if I was testing a product like a monitor, for example, and I saw like a 2x improvement that was unexplained, that that immediately would make me retest the results straight away. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't even need to be like an investigation of, oh, let me look through all the settings, let me check it just to make sure that everything you know is configured correctly. I would just straight away exactly the same test setup, retest it. And then if it got the same performance again, I'd be like, hmm, that's still unexpected. Let's go through. Let's look at the various different configuration. Is it configured correctly? Is everything working properly? Is the test tool working? Are the conditions working properly? And from there, usually you would find that your original results were wrong and that you, you get more typical results. Because as you test more and more products, you get a, you get a pretty good idea, even if specifications are a little unclear at times, you get a pretty good idea that, you know, it's unlikely that from one product to the next product, within, even within a generation, you get a 2x improvement, especially mm-hmm. for something like fan technology. I'm not super familiar with fan technology, but my understanding is that it's a fairly mature thing, right? Like <laughs> a, a 2x improvement or even like a 50% or 20% improvement in fan technology would be like a crazy revolution because the fan design has sort of been not necessarily perfected, but it's very, yeah, it's, it's very test tried true. It's yeah, robust, right? It's been refined for countless decades now. You'd need some sort of alien technology to just two exit out of nowhere. Um, it's not like SSDs, yep. for example, when they were first launched and, you know, or even the mobile phone, um, anything like that. That's it's first introduced. You see them come on in leaps and bounds, but something that's been, you know, knocked to a spend five years refining one little thing like the color of something to make it slightly more you know thermal resistant or yeah. whatever to make a, a small percentage improvement so yeah we're talking about percentage gains being a big deal like s- slow single digit percentage gains yeah and I, I think it's fair to expect that an, an experienced reviewer especially someone that you know I haven't looked into whether Pascal has tested 50 fans. I'll take him on his word that he's tested 50 fans. I'd expect that someone who has done that level of testing would probably know that a fan is, it's unlikely for a new fan to have that that level of performance. So I think it's, I agree with you when like there's different levels of mistakes and you'd be hoping that smaller mistakes are the mistakes that make it through if there are mistakes that are made. But this is a level of mistake that definitely should have been caught prior to publishing, either by just the reviewer himself or by Igor, who I, I don't know if he was um, reviewing the review, like um, editing it before it went live um, because it is published under his name or whether you just published it without reading it. But somewhere along the chain there, someone who has some experience with testing should have seen that and been like, that that result doesn't actually make any sense and is likely to be some sort of configuration issue or testing issue and should at least 
it, pretty much immediately in the testing process trigger a retest of that. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think you really need to have like in-depth mechanical engineering knowledge to know, you know, what's the limitations of fan technology and things. You Even just testing 50 fans, you would see what the general variance is between fans. And so a massive outlier is certainly call for for some sort of reevaluation. But yeah, I think the, the disappointing thing that I saw was mostly just the refusal to do a retest for some period of time. That mm-hmm. was a very uh, strange behavior. I think most reviewers in that situation would just retest it, just cop it being like, yeah, okay, something went wrong. Let's retest it. Let's see what's going on. We've got three or four other reviewers that are getting very different results to what I'm seeing. So either they're all like, either I've done something wrong or they're all wrong. And a simple retest and reevaluation on my end may get closer to figuring out what's going on there. Mm -hmm. But by simply dismissing that saying, oh, I've done all these other correct reviews, so I don't need to retest and all my testing is really nice and perfect and sort of doubling down and it's correct is, yeah, it's not not a very good attitude to take, I, I don't think, in these situations as sort of a, a scientific style reviewer and, and a tester in that way. You have to put the results above yourself. You have mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, you're doing things in the, in the correct way. And, yeah, okay, it's a little embarrassing. It hurts a little to publish something that's wrong, but you just you have to cop it and do the right thing and test it properly because that's what... I guess this industry is kind of about. Yeah, that's right. And in this instance, it was a catastrophic mistake. It's the kind of mistake that it defines the entire review. And they're Mm -hmm. always the mistakes you don't want to make. Like if you do make a mistake, especially in like one of our reviews, you hope it's something that you can just edit out using the, the trim tool and it in no way changes the conclusion of the product. And a recent example or fairly recent example, I think it was my 13900K review I looked at uh, performance per watt, like performance at certain power targets, comparing the Ryzen CPU with the Core i9 CPU and the version of the Intel software, the XTU software that I used had a bug with the new Raptor Lake CPUs where it didn't actually work correctly. So the data there was invalid, but I at no point mentioned that data in the conclusion and it didn't shape the conclusion or my opinions on the processor. It was still a very power hungry inefficient processor when compared to the competition but the mistake was brought to our attention very shortly after the review went live and we were able to trim that pin a comment apologizing for the mistake and letting people know that it's currently being processed out of the video by youtube uh and yeah, it was just fortunate that you know if i had have heavily talked about that or even mentioned it in the conclusion we probably would have had to delete that video and then mm-hmm. redo it and re-upload it which would have been a bit of a nightmare so Thankfully, we got away with that one. Uh, but yeah, obviously, if if uh, the entire review is structured around an amazing result, then that review should be deleted if the amazing result turns out to be incorrect. And you know, spe- sort of following up on what you talked about before, with what we would do if we got uh, an unexpected result, which is to you know retest again, and then if you get the same unexpected result, try and work out what's causing it. Like, is there something that you're test method isn't accounting for but in addition to that we would also reach out to the manufacturer and say do these results and i do this all the time you know Mm -hmm. do these results make sense this isn't quite what we'd be expecting to see uh is this what you'd expect to see and if so do you have an explanation for why this is so that's just a basic thing we would do i do this all the time with amd nvidia intel and then you know, maybe I did it with MSI when testing their X570 boards. Um, 
it's just a simple, easy thing to do, right? It sort of helps cover your ass and learn a bit more about what's going on and hear from the engineers who really do know the product inside out and how it should perform and definitely how it performs uh, to their competitors. If they had reached out to Alpha Cool, because surely Alpha Cool have some people who know how the fan does perform relative to their competitors. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's a thing. And they had have reached yeah. out, spoke to the engineers that de- designed the fan and were part of the process. And they're like, yeah, no, nah, it's not two times better than, you know, a knock to a fan or whatever. Then you'd mm-hmm. scratch your head and go, oh, okay, well, that's pretty definitive, uh, pretty definitive answer or proof that our results can't be right. And But the marketing people at Alpha Cool are very different to uh, the engineering people. So the reason why Alpha Cool jumped all over those results is because you've got Igor's lab, a media outlet with quite a strong reputation for great testing, and they're telling you that the fan is unbelievable, two times improvement. Mm-hmm. Revel- like the marketing people, that's just a goldmine for them. <laughs> they're just going yeah, nuts. Exactly. Uh, and that, that sort of result may not even filter back to the engineering team. So they're mm-hmm. not there to sort of go, uh, guys, there's definitely something wrong there. I wouldn't go pushing that uh, that those results to try and sell fans or something something a bit off. So there's, there's definitely a disconnect there and probably what happened. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you know, you would have someone at Alpha Cool that's sort of saying like, you know, is checking marketing material to make sure that the claims being made are accurate. But there's sort of a level of... I don't know, like a, a barrier of sorts when you, they're not claiming it's internal first-party testing that's showing that th- these fans are, mm-hmm. are, are doubled the performance of other fans because in a lot of countries that would lead to legal ramifications for false advertising and things like that. But because it's sort of a third-party result, there's sort of that disconnect where you can sort of almost shove all of the blame on the reviewer who's tested it. And as you say, this could have been a very quick, you know, even just things like retweeting reviews, those those decisions aren't, you know, it's not like engineers are sitting there reviewing every single social media post or retweet or little thing that goes that goes on because, you know, that's not their job and role in the company to do that. So, yeah, I, I think AlphaCool probably deserves a little bit of blame for, for marketing and an incorrect review in that way. But, you know, it, it's there's a whole bunch of decision-making inside the company. And really, it, it all stems from the review itself being flawed and probably flawed to the degree that it probably shouldn't have been published. And yeah, when we see all sorts of you know d- differing results, and, and I think it comes down to the judgment of the reviewer as to you know whether or not it deserves different levels of testing and retesting or reaching out to companies based on you know unusual results. Like, there's always going to be a range of expected performance, which could be a little more favorable or a little less favorable, but generally it could be just expected that it'll fall somewhere in that range. And I think most reviewers have a pretty good idea of that and would not necessarily go to a manufacturer being like, hey, can you explain why your product is 3% better than the other product? I mean, 3% for a fan is probably significant, but for a monitor, for example, 3% is like, okay, it doesn't really impact the conclusion too much, so it's not really necessary to figure out what's going on there. And then beyond that, you sort of get to the the good and bad range that could be, you know, it's it is a valid result, it's correct, but it is surprisingly good or surprisingly bad. And that those are times when it, as you say, it makes a lot of sense to reach out and sort of it enhances the review as well to sort of go, okay, this product is 
much better than we were expecting and has a really good result here. And we can explain to you why that's the case. Mm-hmm. Like the manufacturer did X, Y, and Z to improve performance. And those things combined led to the result that we're seeing here. And that's typically the information that I like to provide in reviews and that you like to provide in reviews as well, mm-hmm. that gives that context that really enhances the review. And then beyond those type of results, you get the the weird incorrect results, which appears to be what's happened here. And that's when you start doing significant levels of retesting. And even those surprising results that you'd reach out to the manufacturer for, I would probably be retesting those as well, just to see like, oh, that's a bit, you know, that's that's a really good result. That's, you know, that, let's give that a retest and see what's going on there. But it seems yeah. like a lot of those those processes weren't necessarily followed in that way. Yeah, that's right. And even when you say like 3% big deal for fans, I mean, really, realistically, it's not a big deal for any testing of hardware because, as you know, test conditions and setups do vary. So we're not yes. saying that Igor's lab and DeBauer have to have the exact same results. I mean, they could vary by as much as 10%, possibly more, depending on how mm-hmm. significantly different the test parameters are like the ambient air temperature, the density of the radiator, although, you know, the RPM the fan was tested at, all those things can significantly change not just the results of that fan, but then the results of other fans and therefore how the fans compare, like the, the, the differences mm-hmm. between products. So there can be differences, but yeah, you're not going to get a 2x difference. Like we're, we're talking, usually it is a fairly low percentage margins, percentage differences. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably accept up to around 10% variation between test beds and, and methods used. But yeah, as I said two times, there, there needs to be something that explains that. And I think a lot of this situation definitely goes back to the the handling of the situation. Like <laughs> making a bad review, fine, all good. You know, it's not, not a great situation, but if you respond to it, you remove the review, you retest it, you put out the correct numbers, you go, okay, yep, we concede everything you know, we've looked into it, we've, we've found what's going on, we know why that, you know, erroneous data got to the stage of being published, then that, that's a typical good res- response, right? Like, I don't think that the level of criticism that this review has received would have gotten to that level. It would have mm. just blown away, right? Like, it just, no one would have really cared. It, you know, people. I guess some people would have cared about the incorrect results to begin with and there'd be some unsatis- dissatisfied uh, pre-order customers and and people like that, but I think people would be much more satisfied if you know they acknowledged the mistake early on and fixed it as opposed to what they ended up doing. Mm-hmm. And part of the the situation that really annoyed me was sort of the trivializing and minimizing of sort of readers and viewers spending real money on these products that are based on on you know flawed testing. Now, I think as a reviewer, your whole job is to be giving consumer advice that people are spending their money in the best way that they could possibly be spending it. So it is a bit, you know, even if a fan is not a super expensive product, it does still matter that you're recommending products. It still matters that people are genuinely spending their own money based on things that you're saying. So to sort of say things like, you know, oh, it's just a fan, it's not a big deal. This isn't like, you know, World War Three or something, you know, okay. But at the end of the day, your job is still to be giving consumer advice and it does have an impact on where people are spending their money and you know you don't know people's situation or the sort of position that they're in in terms of spending money or how much money they have a a, a high-end fan could be quite a significant purchase for someone and you still need to respect that it's their money and their you know their time doing this research and reading the the reviews that you're producing so I, I really was not 
particularly happy with those sorts of responses that particularly by Pascal and his now potentially deleted video. I'm not sure whether it's back up or fully deleted. But I think yeah, it's that, fully that was, deleted, at least from him. Yeah, that was very disappointing. I don't know what you had to say about things like that. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much more to say about it. I mean, yeah, poorly handled. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not the first time we've seen sort of odd behavior and stuff like this. I don't know if you recall, but probably going back three years now, we ran into a similar thing with Tom's hardware, but it was kind of like the inverse, the reverse of what we've seen here. Um, For those who missed that, we actually made a video about it, but uh, back when they were first released, we covered the MSI, well, we covered all of the AMD X570 motherboards, and we found that the MSI boards, uh, a lot of them were very bad, like very trash, uh, didn't perform how they should. And yeah, the results were actually pretty crazy. We found that a lot of the CPUs would uh, throttle due to the VRM thermal throttling. And yeah, it was just bad, bad performance, which was a real shock because MSI had released some of the best B350, B450, and you know basically AM4 motherboards up until that point. So a lot of people had raced out and bought the X570 boards from MSI without any testing yet, because you know testing takes a bit of time. We were probably a month after release before we got our results out, and we were the first to do so. And yeah, the boards suck. So I approached MSI behind the scenes and I said to them, a lot of these boards are getting up over 100 degrees and throttling the CPU, what's going on? And their initial response was, oh, that, you know, that can't be right. Um, you know, we'll look into it. And I waited two days. They investigated, they replied and said, yeah, look, um, very disappointing findings, but your results are accurate. We, we found the same thing in our labs. A bit strange how that sort of thing can happen. I never really to this day have got a proper explanation from MSI as to why that happened. It seemed like they thought the design would work on paper, manufactured it, but it didn't get the testing that it required. I'm, I'm not sure. Don't want to give MSI mm-hmm. too much yep. of a hard time because they've done a pretty good job since then. But M- we put out a video because a lot of people were saying, you know, this can't be right. We were like, look, MSI is not questioning our results. They've confirmed our results. The boards do suck. Don't buy them. That was kind of the end of the story. <laughs> yep. Then months later... Uh, Tom's Hardware published a video. Uh, I can't remember the title and stuff, but basically they bought um, one of the X570 MSI boards and they said the rumors about poor VR and performance aren't true. Um, they, they basically poo-pooed our testing and they didn't, I don't think they called us out directly, but they just said anyone who's tested these boards and said that the VRMs aren't up to you know, scratch a, a wrong. Uh, and then that sort of caught my my interest i went and had a look at uh i thought maybe msi's updated the boards or improved them and haven't told us uh but yeah they were testing with a 65 watt processor which was a very odd way of going about the testing uh and there's a lot of other oddities there and uh they basically said no one would ever put a ryzen 9 cpu on these x570 more entry level x570 boards which is also an odd take um, we ended up polling that with our audience and found that 80% of people would do that um, as an upgrade path in the future. So anyway, long story short, because you can go watch the video if you really care, um, over 300,000 people have, um, I reached out to Tom's Hardware and said, hey, can we have a chat about this? Because I wasn't super wrapped with them calling our results rumors and inaccurate testing. So I thought, you know, we could have a chat about this and and maybe if I explained to them that using a 65-watt CPU for stress testing VRMs isn't a good idea. 
And uh, they, the individual who made the content, I think his name was Thomas from memory, replied saying he didn't want to talk with Harbour Unbox directly because they're trolls. Um, I remember this. So that was a weird response, and it never really got better from there. Um, they basically just wanted to stand by their testing. They called our testing incorrect and troll-like, apparently. Uh, and, yeah, anyway, um, we made a video about it. I don't believe Thomas works for Tom's Hardware anymore. Uh, but, yeah, it was just a weird, weird situation. Not not that dissimilar to the Igor's lab situation just happened in a a different way we were actually first the testing and our testing was accurate and our testing was verified to be accurate by the manufacturer which must have been painful for them to do so but to msi's credit they did so very quickly and we've not we've we've not seen other board manufacturers do that asrock has always denied the testing and fought it uh so has asus and gigabyte's just been been a bit odd from time to time. But yeah, MSI fully owned up to it. They said we need to do better. And they basically admitted the board sucks. They never took it off the market, which kind of annoyed mm-hmm. me. But the board did technically work, I suppose. It just didn't work nearly as well as it should have. So It's pretty rare to get your ne- negative results confirmed by the manufacturers. If you say something doesn't work or performs poorly, it, pretty much never is how often that they will come back and say that your results are correct. (laughs) They will most likely either just not comment about it or, you know, make up some excuse for why it performs the way it is or make some justification. And a lot of the time those justifications make no sense and -hmm. and things like that. So it's pretty rare to have a situation where you're saying a product is bad and the manufacturer is like, we agree. (laughs) And then to have, yeah, reviewers, other reviewers, Again, you can test in different ways and that's fine. But I think in that situation from memory, it was very much, you know, you test in your way, but then to then say other people's testing is wrong is quite an interesting way of going about that. In that situation, you should more just publish your results saying, hey, we've tested this using this configuration. We're not seeing the terrible level of performance seen on from other testing. That mm-hmm. could be because of factors that you know, include testing on a lower TDP processor and so on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just different ways of handling those sorts of things. And, yeah, I guess one of the things as well that was brought up with this situation from some of our um, podcast listeners in our Discord chat was whether or not the consumer of so the people pre-ordering these fans should have – any part of the blame for the situation. So, you know, if someone buys pre-orders a fan based on that testing and is then disappointed with the end product, are they in any way responsible? And the thinking there was, at least presented by some of the, I think there was one user who I probably shouldn't mention who it is, so not to shame them because I disagree with their take, but basically the thinking was that, you know, someone should have seen, you know, if you're buying the fan, you look at the results, the consumer, the reader should have known that those results were wrong based on reading the review because people should know that a 2x improvement in a fan is pretty unlikely and therefore, you know, should be dismissing the whole review. Um, did you have any thoughts about something like that? Is this, does the con- Should the consumer have known better to, than to pre-order the fans based on those results? No, I totally disagree with that take. That's a bad take in my opinion. The whole, mm-hmm. th- they're doing the right thing, right? They're, they're doing their research and they were researching all available sources, which apparently it sounds like for a month or more was Igor's lab. Now, again, mm-hmm. Igor's lab 
at least to my knowledge. I'm not super familiar with Igor's lab. Obviously, it's a German-based, so it wouldn't make sense that I try to read a lot of their stuff with poor translation. Uh, but in my understanding is they have a very good reputation of a very in-depth testing, mm-hmm. um, some of the best testing in the industry. At least that that's sort of my assumption based on what I do know about them. So they're not they're not known as some dodgy media outlet that does half-assed testing, at least would you agree with that? That's my understanding of them. Yeah, certainly. They seem, yeah. I think if this was more of like a user benchmark, like you went on there you know, to compare two <laughs> CPUs and you see that the weird captions that sort of make no sense and a lot of the yeah, testing yeah. is very bizarre, you know, that's a, a website with a very poor reputation, especially on places like Reddit. But I could very much see someone, you know, they, they're wanting to research fans. They go on, a, on Reddit or somewhere like that and, you know, be like, hey, I saw this fan review over on, Igor's lab, what do you think of their testing? And I'm guessing most people would say that their testing is up to scratch. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you that I think that, yeah, their reputation would be at the level that you wouldn't just go in expecting the results to be bad or wrong or misleading in some way. You think if they're recommending it as the best product or one of the best products, it's a pretty safe bet it's a good product. And my understanding is it's still quite a good product, but uh, if you already have a good product, it would suck if you ordered, you know, six or whatever it is of these things that you didn't actually eat because they're not two times better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people have done their research. They've they've seeked out all available sources, and the manufacturer has, which you know, Alpha Cool's quite a well known brand for performance type cooling related products for the PC, and they've also validated the results by promoting them. Which I know is mm-hmm. as a manufacturer, how much trust do you place there, but. It's just another level of okay. This seems legitimate. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I fail to really or struggle to put any blame on the person who's doing their research and has has found these to be uh, good fans. But and you know they, they're advertised yep. as well as. And again, I know this is advertising, but even on the Alpha Cool website right now, it says you know best in class. Um, it says it says the true metal fan, which again is a bit misleading because it is just the frame that's metal um and then there's some unique design aspects to it um with you know the way the fan is well it's decoupled uh from, from like you know how they're usually mounted on the plastic frame and stuff like that yeah, which yeah. apparently makes there's all these unique design aspects and the way that the ball bearing design is done so they do seem like there are some things there that would be a bit special or a bit different that could lead to an improvement in results. Maybe not a 2x improvement, but certainly an improvement. And yeah, if you've got someone who seems like a very scientific-based, uh, trusted testing source that is saying that they're the bee's knees, then yeah, it's probably good enough to pull the trigger on them for most people. Um, and I certainly yeah, I think wouldn't blame them. I think it's important as well to remember that people reading reviews have a wide variety of different levels of knowledge about the product that you're testing. There's going to be yeah, I'm sure a lot of engineers who are very familiar with fans and you know general hardware like that would look at those results and be like, you know, something there appears to be wrong. That was certainly my impression looking at those results for the first time and having it explained to be twice as fast. I'm like, okay, that doesn't really sound right based on what I know. But there's a wide variety of different people who are reading reviews for things. Like if I read a review of a washing machine, I know very little about washing machines and washing machine technology because that's just not something that I'm super interested in. So if I'm looking at 
you know, buying a new washing machine and someone's claiming that it's twice as fast based on what appears to be scientific level testing, then I'm probably going to be pretty inclined to believe those results, especially mm-hmm. if there's, you know, other results confirming that, or even if there's just one review and that's the only source, you know, you, you kind of have to go you, what you're going to go on. So yeah, we don't know like how many people pre-ordering, like what's their level of knowledge about PC hardware products Were they, you know, more informed and just being a bit, bit, you know, misled or deluded in that scenario, or is it just that they don't have necessarily the in-depth knowledge? And there's there's nothing wrong with not having super in-depth knowledge. There's a lot of people who build PCs who are just more casual, like they might do it every once, every three or four years, and then largely, you know, not really pay much attention to the rest of the market. So, yeah, I think putting any sort of blame on the readers for not interpreting those results is yeah i i strongly disagree with that take as well as well like as a reader you don't often go into a review expecting the results to be incorrect like especially for trusted outlets that have some sort of reputation Mm -hmm. you don't go in being like oh i'm going to pick this review apart like i'm going to look at it try and find all the flaws you generally go in with a mindset that what's being done is being done correctly and you know you could probably make some arguments that things on the internet these days maybe shouldn't be believed as much. But I think when it comes to something like this, it's, you know, I, I would expect that most people watching a hardware unbox video are going in expecting that what we're producing is correct and not just being like, okay, I, I don't know, I'll sit on the fence for this one. I'll, I'll look at the review and then at the end I'll make a conclusion about whether they've tested it correctly or not. Now I know there's mm-hmm. trolls that probably do that, but most people, I think, go in with the mindset that it is accurate. So, yeah. All right, that topic's done. We've covered it. Hopefully the people who requested us to look into that into our in our Discord community are happy and we'll talk about some news and rumor topics for just a, just a couple of quick ones here. One of them being Nvidia supposedly launching an RTX 3050 6 gigabyte model in February of next year at $180 US. This news article at least from what i've seen has come from video cards and yeah really there's not a whole lot to say here about the gpu we know what the rtx 3050 is this is a cut down version of that card at least allegedly that would be about a 20 percent reduction in cuda cores so going from 2560 to 2048 cuda cores and obviously memory bus width reduction as well down to a very anemic 96 bit to match up with the six gigabyte memory capacity. And this would be a lower power card as well, apparently 70 watts, which would, I believe, make it able to work without a power connector. But that's right. Yeah. this card doesn't seem necessary to me. I don't know what, what you're thinking <laughs> about it, but a, a new six gigabyte GPU from Oof. an older series at $180, like what? Well, <laughs> look... If the 3050 was sort of a go-to product in that $200 price range, then getting a slightly cheaper version of it might be worthwhile, might be good. But the problem is the RTX 3050 has sucked big time since the day it was released to today. Yeah, it's awful. It is an yep. absolutely just useless product. The, the only thing that makes it worse is like the GTX 1630, yeah, I mean, it's a garbage product. It's slower than an RX 6600, uh, which has 8 gigabytes of VRAM. So I'm talking about the normal RTX 3050 8 gigabyte. That is slower mm. than the RX 6600. 
And the RX 6600 can be regularly purchased for, I think, about $190, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, today. I think for the last year, it's been between 180 and about $200, maybe $210 for pretty much a year. So Yeah, so that product's not only more affordable, but it is faster. So if they launch this at 180 they're basically matching the RX 6600 pricing with a product that is going to be significantly slower. Yeah, a lot, lot slower. Uh, I haven't got the exact numbers in front of me, but I know the RTX 3050 is quite a bit slower than the RX 6600. So this thing is going to be miles slower. Like the, it's allegedly cut down in CUDA cores by about 20%. Uh, and then, you know, obviously with less uh, VRAM, you're going to have a narrower memory bus. So probably like 96 bit wide. Mm -hmm. It's like a 25% reduction there. So the performance is probably going to be around 20% less uh, on average, I would say, uh, which is a massive, yeah. uh, like right now, RTX 3050 pricing is a bit all over the map. Like if you look at Newegg, which I'm doing as we speak, the cheapest model is $235, but mm -hmm. most of them are around 260 270 So if they were able to achieve a $180 asking price, that's a pretty big reduction when compared to uh, most of the models available right now. So, you know, it's roughly a 30% discount for what will be about you know, a 20% hit to performance, we suspect. But, mm -hmm. you know, realistically, it's still a bad product. And even best case, if you look at, like, there's a ASUS Phoenix model, that's $235, which would make this 6 gigabyte version 20% cheaper for what, you know, should be at least 20% slower. But you already shouldn't have bought the RTX 3070 because it's a garbage product because the RX 6600. What they, what they need to do is take the RTX 3058 gigabyte and make it like $160. <laughs> and then it becomes yeah. a valid product. But until it hits $160 US, it's just, it's a dumpster fire. Just, there's no point having it. It's just a useless waste of space product that need not exist. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, like $235, the MSRP of the 3050 supposedly from what three years ago now was 250 dollars yeah, yeah, yeah so we're talking about like three years later and you're getting them for 235 dollars and i think i've seen them for as low as 210 dollars is probably the historic low for that card which even then is not a good deal and then you're talking about a worse version at 180 dollars it's mm. well the it doesn't end, make a lot of sense the sub the sub 500 dollar us gpu market Mm -hmm. I don't think has ever been worse than it is right now. You know, let's let's say outside of like cryptocurrency boom type stuff where you can't buy anything. But it's very, very bad because the RX 6600 is the only GPU you'd really buy below about $450 because it's, it's better value. It's, it's much better value than even the RX 7600. And RTX 4060, like it's bet th those are three hundred dollar, two hundred seventy, three hundred dollar products, and I think they're like twenty percent faster, maybe for forty to sixty percent increase in cost. If I'm doing the math right there, so Something around that, yeah. So it's like, do do you need to do you need the extra ten twenty FPS to for that kind of premium? It doesn't really make sense, does it? You might as well just buy an RX sixty six hundred. So, mm -hmm. uh, or the 6600 XT, which is also, I believe, a little I, I think, cheaper. Yeah, I don't think uh, that exists anymore. I think it's the 6650 XT, but 
That is, yeah. yeah, but that's that's a good point because that's a similar cost per frame right now as the RX sixty six hundred. So it's like a sixty six series product from yep. from the Radeon lineup is what you would buy. You really have to go up to like four hundred and fifty dollars or thereabouts for a sixteen gigabyte forty sixty Ti or a seventy seven hundred XT. Um, those products are much of a muchness. You could really go either way. So that. And, and I mean, they're not amazing products. I'm just saying they're the ones you would, the first ones you would sort of entertain, really. Yeah, from certainly from the new generation. I mean, you can still get 6700 XTs, 6800s if you're lucky, which tend to be reasonable in terms of value. But yeah, if we're talking like new generation products, I mean, those are like three year old cards. They should be cheaper. Like, that's mm-hmm. just the way those things go. Yeah, it's not a good situation for for lower tier products. And, you know, I I do get the arguments about like $200 isn't what it used to be. You know, $200 gets you less now than what it would have gotten you back in the era of like an RX 580 back when $200 GPUs were good. But it's like, okay, so where's the good $300 GPU? (laughs) Where's the good $400 (laughs) GPU? Where's the the good... (laughs) Where's the good GPU that you can buy for the same price as an entire PlayStation 5? Yeah. Entire no. console. It no. does just, where is it? What's going yeah. on there? Yeah. Where, how, how much is Microsoft selling the Xbox Series S for? It's like, it's like $200 or something. It's not a great console. Like there's a lot of limitations. It's a 1080p lower quality settings, limited memory, things like that. But that's an entire game console for let for equivalent price to something like an RTX 3050 GPU. Like Mm -hmm. it's just not a good scenario. And I mean, we've talked, how many times we talked about this in Q and A's and stuff, just like the neglect of the low end GPU market, not really caring about consumers that don't have $800, $600 to spend. I mean, the reason why all these GPUs are still sitting on the, on the shelves, why there's still to this day, RTX 3070 sitting on shelves, RTX 3060s, why they're still there it's because people, there's a lot of people who only want to spend $400 and they're like, I've got my GTX 1070 and everything released since then has been trash. Mm. Or I couldn't buy it because for two years during cryptocurrency, there was no availability and buying a reasonable product would have cost me seven, $800. So that bulk of, there's surely at some point there's going to be a turning point for those buyers where there will be something that will actually encourage an upgrade, but it's not this. It's not a 3050 6 gigabyte at $880. It's well, I can't wait to waste whatever that amount of money turns out to be. It's probably like $400 in Australia. So I can't I can't wait to uh, waste that amount of money on this product for a review. But to be fair, I will have a lot of fun with the review. So mm-hmm. um, I was just... Fun times. How much is an RTX 3050? I'm trying to find... Um, uh, is this in stock? Looks like you can buy them for around three hundred and thirty-five dollars. So it's not as bad as I thought, but mm-hmm. most of them are around three fifty. Um, so, oh, that's out of stock though. So I don't, I don't know what price you have to pay to reliably get them. Looks like it's about three hundred and seventy Australian dollars. Right. Uh, and the Xbox Series S, which probably outperforms an RTX thirty fifty is $400 AUD at the moment. That's for the entire right. console. How many controllers do you get with that console? I think you get one controller. Okay. One controller. It's 512 gig model. Um, you can get it in black 
and or white. Maybe I think the white model is the four hundred dollar model. Uh, but anyway, that's an entire console with with a controller for four hundred dollars. And yeah, you're not gonna like the Xbox Series S is not a high end gaming experience. It is a cut down version of even a the the Series X, which is the more performant console. It's designed for 1080p gaming. But guess what? An RTX 3050 <laughs> is a cut down PC experience designed for 1080p gaming. So uh, yeah, I um yeah, it's it's very bad. Yeah, it's bad. Another thing that I found a lot more interesting, a lot more interesting than RTX 3050 6 gigabyte that may be worth using at some point in the future is this week Intel released a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a document, what, like a research paper maybe uh, discussing their version of frame generation, which isn't frame generation. It's frame extrapolation that they're calling extra SS. So this is not a technology that you can use right now. It's not coming to games they're not talking about it as like a feature for people to use this is a, a research paper designed to show what could be coming in the future but they have been talking about this feature extra ss which uses frame extrapolation so the main difference between frame generation and extrapolation is with generation you have to generate two frames the current frame and the the future frame which is you know it's, you're not looking into the future but you know what i mean they're showing you a frame prior to that so mm -hmm. you generate the current frame the future frame you in interpolate in the middle by generating a frame in the middle and that frame is shown to you straight away and then the the future frame is then shown and this repeats over and over again giving you that you know interpolated effect and by generating in that way they can use the data from the the two real generated frames to then create a new frame so if things are like moving outside of your field of view from one frame to the next that's all accounted for with frame generation will have all that information available to you with frame extrapolation there's no future frame being used they are just taking the current frame that's being generated and then extrapolating from just that data into a new frame so this does have some latency benefits it with frame generation, theoretically, you get around a half a frame of additional latency compared to whatever native rendering you're running at. With a frame extrapolation technology, theoretically, there would be no latency penalty relative to running at the native render rate. So it's not going to take. It's not going to be like 120 FPS extrapolated is 120 FPS of latency. It would still be 60 FPS of latency, but it wouldn't be below 60 FPS of latency like you mm -hmm. might see with frame generation. So the thinking is with this that, yeah, that is what you would be getting. You'd be getting some potential performance improvements, but then by extrapolating, I don't know what the quality is going to be like because if you've got things on the edge of the frame and it's kind of just having to guess what's going on as you move around, I don't know what that's going to be like for visual quality. And then on top of that, if it's predicting that your mouse movements are moving in one direction when actually in between frames you've, I don't know, turned into a different direction – that could create like a rubber banding type effect where it's sort of it's predicting a little bit ahead of what you're actually doing. And yeah, I'd be very interested to see how that looks and feels. I, I get the sort of idea of thinking of extrapolation, lower the latency a little bit, but if it causes like rubber banding and all sorts of other things, I don't know whether it would be overly useful, but I guess we'll see. But I'm sure you're not going to be super interested in, in extrapolation tech if you're not already that keen on generation that we have today. Well, interesting to see if they can uh, pull it off and how it compares. But yeah, I mean, I think I've made it pretty clear. I'm more interested in more powerful 
uh, GPUs than I am with software trickery. I mean, Intel does need a some sort of answer for frame generation technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, they've developed XCSS as their upscaling solution, and as we've seen from a recent video, that performs pretty well. Um, but there's no frame generation technology that's currently from Intel that would run on Intel GPU. You can use FSR3 frame generation, but you are restricted to, at least in the current versions, using FSR3 upscaling as well if you do choose to use uh, FSR frame generation. So if you did have an Intel GPU and you had the XMX path of XCSS, which is the higher quality, almost DLSS-like visual quality version that they've made, then you're kind of, there's no frame gen that can use that type of upscaling. So yeah, I think Intel does need some sort of answer to this maybe for future gpus or for some sort of future feature um but i have some questions over whether interpolation versus extrapolation which way is the best way but i guess you've got to give credit for intel to to at least looking into and, and attempting something a bit different if this does work really well it could give them an edge over the frame generation that we're seeing from the other two vendors and you know intel's gpus they need a few advantages and a few features to get people interested. The interest in them is still, I guess, relatively low, would you say, despite the improvements that have been made recently? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get, it's hard to generate a heap of excitement on GPUs that are quite clearly multiple generations behind and aren't, you know, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not high end GPUs by any stretch of the imagination. They're very much, they're competing with the, the outgoing GPUs we've been talking about, you know, the RTX 3050s and the RX 6600s mm. and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, impressive uh, or rapid rate of development, I suppose, compared to the, the, the starting point. So relative to that, they've done quite well, but clearly have a long way to go before they get gamers excited about Arc GPUs. Well, theoretically, there's supposed to be a new generation Battle Mage coming in 2024. That's what the rumors are suggesting that you know there's always rumors of intel canceling their gpu series and so we'll see what happens with that it's not like yeah it's not like a rtx super series where we're sitting here saying yeah we're going to be getting those pretty soon you're going to learn a lot more about that it's we'll wait and see about that but yeah they've been they've been clearly putting in a fair bit of work to wrap this one up before talking about our boring but actually exciting lives because steve went on a holiday i wanted to do a brief recap of 2023 and by that i mean looking at the favorite our favorite releases of this year what's the best things that we've covered in 2023 and we were just looking before this episode throughout the videos that we've actually made in 2023 so you know obviously there was a fair few releases right at the end of 2022 like the first zen 4 products were released the start of you know the rtx 4019 was released at the end of 2022 but we kind of came to the conclusion that 2023 not a good year not Wasteland. a good year for hardware releases. No, yeah. probably one of the worst years on record, really. Because even during the cryptocurrency boom of, what was it, like 2021? 20, mm-hmm. yep. that, that, yeah. Even though it sucked that availability was poor, at least we got some interesting technology and products released. There was, even if, I guess that was what was probably, for some people, the most frustrating about it was the fact that, Oh, the RTX 3080 at $700, that's amazing. I would love to upgrade my GTX 1080 or whatever it may be to that product, but I bloody can't. So yep. the, the technology was exciting. The desire to upgrade was as strong as ever, but you just couldn't. Whereas this year, it's like, yeah, it's... um, 
It's not good. Not much got released to begin with. And the majority, I would say, of what did get released was extremely underwhelming to unnecessary, borderline garbage. Yeah, I mean, most of the products that came out were things like your mid-range to lower-end GPUs, so things like RTX 4070 Ti and below, as well as AMD's, you know, the, the 7900 series came out last year, but the other products came out this year. And as we've already talked about, the mid-range and lower-tier GPUs are very much neglected. They are crap and... So a lot of the GPU reviews that you were doing with that, on the CPU side, we got you know products like the 7800X3D and other vCache models, as well as lower tier Zen 4 processors. But then on the Intel side, everyone has seen the results of the, the 14th generation and that it's not really doing all that much. Um, so yeah, there ha- at least for like the main components that we review, there hasn't been all that much. And when you're sort of mid-generation as well, it's not like motherboards are going to be exciting. Not the motherboards are ever super exciting products, but you know, they're definitely not exciting mid-generation, right? So mm-hmm. of all the videos that you made, what's, what's the best? What was your favorite thing to have covered this year? Well, I will say, Tim, that never before have I hated this question more than this year. <laughs> uh, look, I, I did briefly, as you say, went through and looked at all the reviews product reviews not necessarily all the videos but the question sort of is the favorite product release of 2023 right yep um i think i'm gonna have to go with like the ryzen 7 7800 x3d i think i'm gonna i think i have to go with that and i wasn't even necessarily blown away by that cpu in 2023 Mm. compared to like it was nowhere near as good as the 5800 x3d upon release yeah. Um, it was still quite a high price tag for an eight-core CPU. Not that I, I really hate to even bring that point up because it seems a little bit silly. Because you know today's games don't require uh, more than the level of gaming performance that a seventy-eight hundred X three D CPU delivers. So you're not going to saturate that CPU anytime soon with gaming, and therefore it doesn't really need more cores. It, it can game and take care of any background tasks just fine. So it's an excellent gaming CPU, but also it's yeah. It is it is um very limited in the fact that it's a it's a it's a very high performance gaming CPU, but it's also quite expensive or at least it was upon release. And it it doesn't like I guess what I'm getting at is past high-end gaming CPUs have also been really good productivity CPUs. Like the 7950X3D yep. is an awesome productivity CPU. Uh, and it can be quite a good gaming CPU as long as you know you make sure it's using the 3D V cache. That CPU would have been phenomenal if it was the price it was and all cores had access to 3D vCache. So that, that would have been the ultimate CPU, but unfortunately not to be. Mm. Um, so anyway, I think- I, I, I'll go with the 7800X 3D. It's not like I'm like, that was amazing, huge, huge win there, very exciting, loved it. It was like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it kind of won for me by default. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, I can, I can totally understand that because, I mean... Yeah, it it is the fastest gaming CPU, but it's not heaps faster than the previous fastest gaming CPU that came before it, and like the the thirteen nine hundred K and stuff. It's like a little better. It's not like you're getting huge performance increases. I think it's good that the the price hasn't sat at four hundred and fifty dollars for the whole year. It's been pretty reliably under four hundred dollars for the last little bit now. I think it's the I've just been looking at PC Part Picker. the The lowest price for that model was around $350 if you could get it on a sale right now it's available for $370 so 
that's a better price than what it launched at. And I'd say to get that level of gaming performance, that that price is pretty good. Um, considering previously, yeah, you would have to buy those flagship productivity processes that also have heaps of cores and cost more like five hundred dollars. So yeah, it's a it's a good part. But I think in a in a year with lots of good releases, like let's say there was good competition in CPUs, good competition in GPUs, I don't think we'd be ranking a seventy eight hundred X three D as the favorite of the year. But again, twenty twenty three, bit of a wasteland there. Um, as far as the things I covered, I had a pretty similar experience looking at the, the videos that I'd made on Hardware Unboxed. So a lot of this year I've spent time looking at you know software features, game features. So there has been quite a number of notable releases that have come this year, things like FSR3 frame generation, AMD's driver-based fluid motion frames. There's been the launch of uh, ray reconstruction, so NVIDIA's um, you know DLSS addition i guess for for ray tracing games there's been improvements to dlss there's been more path tracing games there's been a whole bunch of different things and maybe it's recency bias but i think i was most impressed with xcss 1.2 this year mm-hmm. which i just recently covered on the channel i think the improvements that have been made there are probably the the most impressive you know fsr3 ad issues ray reconstruction was reasonable but again when testing games like particularly Cyberpunk, I was less impressed than the initial testing. FSR hasn't improved significantly. DLSS is is what it is. Um, the fluid motion frames driver thing wasn't that good. But the fact that XCSS can now deliver better than FSR image quality and the performance has been improved as well relative to when I covered it last year, I think that would probably be one of the the more impressive things that I've, I've looked at this year, at least on Hardware Unboxed. And then, yeah, for monitors, it's been a pretty good year for monitors. A lot of OLED displays coming, much more accessible in that area. So at least I've been kept pretty busy and happy testing a lot of good quality displays on monitors unboxed. So sorry, Steve, you've had to deal with all the crappy crappy products while I've been testing about a dozen OLED monitors. And yeah, so my pick for monitors would be the Asus ROG Swift PG27 AQDM, which I mentioned on the, the podcast last week with Simon, where we went through our our favorite monitors of the year. That's a, a really good product. And yeah, certainly it's a much stronger recommendation than we would have seen for any of the hardware that was released. Like it's definitely worth buying, definitely worth getting 27 inch 1440p 240 hertz OLED. I believe you have some, Steve, somewhere. I know Balin's using one at the moment. Um, I'm still using my QD OLED, but yeah, great year for OLED. And we're expecting that to get even better next year. So Monster Unboxed has been going well. Hardware Unboxed, we need more exciting stuff next year. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see that. Fingers crossed. Otherwise, I might retire young-ish. <laughs> Actually, no comment from you, Tim. Let's move on swiftly. All right, we're back. Boring lives. My life has been boring for the past two weeks, but Steve has done apparently... I hear there's a word that you can use to describe going on a holiday. Is it ex- good, exciting? You, you did yeah. things. It's a, it's a really foreign world to me. Yeah, so a lot of outside, a lot of yeah. out, a lot of out there. The sun thing and I, there's touching grass. Did yeah, you do a lot of that. Um, I touched more water than grass, to be honest. Oh, but yeah. sort of, this, there's also a material called sand. Uh, uh, I hear that's uh it's it uncomfortable. It's everywhere, is it? It's yeah, kind of coarse and yeah. Don't highly rainy. recommend it, but it's necessary for getting to the water often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no. So anyway, uh, yeah, family holiday was planned for the end of the year. My last family holiday, which I believe was would have been was last year, 
it got destroyed because my daughter got COVID one day into it. And then my other daughter got COVID, my wife got COVID, I got COVID. I had to drive home eight hours with COVID. Um, thankfully, um, COVID was a cakewalk for me, but I did have a pretty bad headache for two days. Um, but yeah, obviously that sucked. The kids were devastated that you know we had this exciting holiday planned. We get one day into it and the next day we have to come home. So it went better than that. Uh, we awesome. set a low, low bar last time. But yeah, so we drove, well, I drove up to Queensland with all the kayaks and all the fun stuff and flew all the girls up there. So we left a bit earlier than them. And um, I took our video editor, Balin, and his girlfriend with us. So the girlfriend flew with my family. Balin and I drove up together. Uh, Balin and I get along really well. So we had a good time. Oh, where was my invite? Don't I get along well with you? I just. <laughs> well, um, we'll just move on. <laughs> we'll just move on. No. Um, I, uh, well, Tim, let's do it now. I'm mm-hmm. going away on a, another trip in March. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll be driving again, taking the kayaks, and we're going fishing all week. Would you like to come? Oh, uh, well, you've, you've mentioned it's a fishing holiday, so I think I will, um, I'll happily decline your water sports fishing outdoor activity holiday. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, my, my Queensland, uh, going to an, a tropical Island and taking the kayaks was also largely a fishing holiday, which is why I didn't waste any time or energy seeing if you're interested. Um, al- yeah. also, also Tim, you know, as much as I would love to take you away on a holiday, Someone, mm. we, we can't holiday together. Someone has to do mm. the work. So so when you went to Japan, I did the work. And uh, then when I went away, you did the work. So anyway, moving past. To, to, moving, to, <laughs> to escape the, the jokes for a second, I did. I went on my holiday earlier in the year to Japan with, with my partner, yep. Miranda. We went for a couple of weeks in May just before Computex. So um, yes, I had already, d- basically I'd taken my two week holiday prior to December. So unfortunately I would not be allowed to go on holiday in December. <laughs> well, if you really, really wanted to come, I, I would have certainly been more mm. than happy for you to join, but I know how much you love, uh, on the water activities and fishing and all that sort of stuff. So it'd be, it'd be less of a holiday, more of me sitting and suffering through your various activities and things. And well, just being around you, I guess is a bit of and suffering just, as well. Just, so. just in general, um, <laughs> just in general. Yeah, yeah. We spent time at Computex and we had to get separate rooms this year. So. <laughs> oh God, I'm never going to tell this story if we just keep talking crap. Um, <laughs> anyway, get onto your story. What happened on your holiday? Well, Balin enjoys outdoor activities. He enjoys the sun much more than I. I generally cover up head to toe in like you know the UV quick dry type stuff because yeah, uh, my English skin that I inherited from my dad, I sort of go up like a vampire in direct sunlight. Um, whereas Balin has the olive skin. So anyway, he loves the outdoor stuff. He loves fishing, kayaking, um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he was more than ex- uh, excited to come along and, and have a holiday. So. Uh, yeah, drove up with me, kept me company. We drove up there, all good. Uh, and I guess sort of, I've got a whole heap of stories, but I guess I'll just tell two because, you know, otherwise we'll be here for three hours. Um, and you don't know this story, Tim, so I'll tell you this one because it's kind of funny. At least it is to me. Um, all right. It was like, so I've got two 
18 foot long sailing kayaks. They're Hobie kayaks. Well, one's an adventure island, one's a tandem island. So one's like 16 foot, one's 18 foot. They're big, heavy kayaks, um, very expensive. And I love them. And we hired uh, some houses that are on a canal that go out into the you know, main channel, the water. So you can put the kayaks and leave them at the dock at our private residence. And there's no going to the beach or setting them up. You can just leave them set up sail out whenever we want it was an awesome setup really cool but <clears throat> on day one we had to get the kayaks from the car um, which is quite involved get them off the trailer get them down the side of the house down the walkway to the dock on the dock set them up get them in the water um, which isn't a problem but uh it was it was day one we were all a bit knackered uh, but my, my cousin was keen to see the kayak in the water he's like oh we should just chuck the kayak in the water not set up the armors, not put the sail on, just just the hull of the kayak and just have a pedal around because they're the Mirage Drive pedal-powered kayaks. So I said, yeah, we can do that. It was it was just sort of sunset. I thought, Let, let's just chuck it in there. We'll have a pedal around the, the, the canal area and whatever. So we pick up either end of the kayak and the pedals are just sitting on the kayak. They're not clipped in because you can't clip them in on flat ground because the fins stick out the bottom. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a procedure to do that. But anyway, we, we just sat them on the seat and we've lifted up the kayak and gone to put it in the water and we didn't lift it quite high enough and it's caught on like the cleat on the side of the dock and it's knocked the kayaks just a little sideways, but it's thrown the $2,000 pedals off the seat into the water and they've just spiraled straight to the bottom. Um <laughs> And this isn't like crystal clear water. So the canals are usually quite murky and uh, people don't swim in the canals because they're usually littered with man-eating bull sharks. So (laughs) they're quite notorious for big bull sharks entering and patrolling. So people don't swim up and down them um, ever really. We we didn't see a single person in the water the whole time we were there. So Balin's standing next to me. And he's sort of seen them go down. We had no idea how deep it was, nothing. You, you, you can't see more than like a foot through the water. So the second they saw, hit the water, we saw them for a second and they went about a foot deep and they were just gone. And by this stage, it's getting pretty dark. And I did have a spare set, but they are $2,000. So it's like, ah, oh, that kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. as, as far as I was concerned, they were gone. So we were going to get like some fishing lines with some big sinkers and hooks and try and like hook them and bring them up. But, you know, that was a bit of a pipe dream, but we thought we'd give it a crack. Anyway, Balin's um, a certified diver, scuba diver. So he, he, was, he was like, I could go get them. But you could tell on his face, he's like, I sure as shit do not want to jump in that water. <laughs> <laughs> he was not looking super confident. <laughs> and I said to him, well, you don't have to go in. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to risk you in any way. Um, cause I don't want to edit videos ever again. Uh, but I also said to him, well, if you do jump in and manage to recover them, I will pay for all of your alcohol for the next two weeks. So he was in the water pretty quickly, um, <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> shaking shaking at the knees a little bit, which is uh, totally understandable because it was sketchy as. We had no idea the depth, no idea what was under the dock, what was down there. Um, I had a torch, which we knew wasn't really waterproof, but we thought we'd give it a go. And he did his first dive with the torch. And this was a very bright torch. And the second he was a meter under the water, you could not really see the light anymore. 
Anyway, he went about two meters down and the torch cut out and he's just pitch black darkness. And by this stage, the sun had pretty much gone down. So there wasn't really much natural light either, but the water was so murky. Anyway, he popped back up. The adrenaline had definitely kicked in. He was shaking a bit. And he's like, where do you reckon they are? Where do you reckon they are? I'm like, oh, they've got to be in this area here. Anyway, he went down again. He was down for about, I don't know, 20 seconds. And he comes back up with the pedals and he was over the moon. So he managed to get them. Uh, And then we got him the hell out of the water. He didn't get eaten by a bull shark. So that was good. And uh, yeah, saved saved me $2,000. So I did provide his alcohol for the next two weeks and he he drank a bit. So he had a good time. (laughs) Just a bit. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was good. Probably midweek on the holiday, I must have gotten stung or bitten by something, either out on the water or near the water, because my little toe on my left foot started to get a bit sensitive. Like, you know, when you know you put your sock on and it's like, it almost felt like it was sunburnt, uh, right. you, you yep. know, like sensitive skin. I was like, oh, that's annoying, whatever. I just ignored it. Uh, and then we sort of got to the point where we were going home and I was almost starting to limp on it, but I was still ignoring it because I'm like, it'll be fine. I hadn't really even looked at it, to be honest. Um, and then the first day of being home that night, it really started to like throb and get sore. And I showed my wife and she's like, mm, looks like it's probably infected. She couldn't see any obvious sort of bite marks or anything, but it looked like it wasn't improving. And then about an hour later, I was complaining more about it. She looked at it and from the infected little toe, I had like a very strong, bright red vein going up my foot to my leg. And I was like, yeah, it'll be right. <laughs> so she made me go to the hospital. So I drove out to the hospital and they weren't too fussed with it. They're like, it's clearly infected and it's probably not going to get better, but just go to the doctors tomorrow. So I said to them, okay, that's fine. So you don't think I'll die tonight? They're like, nah, you shouldn't die tonight. It's like, cool. My wife's like, did you get that in writing? <laughs> anyway, it um, it did calm down a bit the next day, but was still pretty bad. Went to the doctors, got some antibiotics, and uh, it's improving. So the live stream we did yesterday, I was heavily dosed with antibiotics and a few other things, and I was feeling not the best, I'll be honest, but we got through it. It's made me very drowsy. Um and yeah, anyway, and I guess it's the body's fighting a fairly bad infection, though it is a bit pathetic that it's my little toe on my left foot, but whatever. Uh, and then, yeah, today I had a bit of a headache and felt a bit crap before we did the podcast, but I'm feeling a little bit better. So I think by tomorrow, the antibiotics will have got me largely through it. So I've still got nice. like another weeks of them to take. That was fun. So no, look, it could have been like a spider in the booties that you put on, you know, for the the, the, the water booty things you wear on like the uh, kayaks and stuff. It could have been in there. Something got me on my little toe. So, yeah. Unfortunate. But overall, yep. did you enjoy the holiday? Had a good time? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, it, it was good to get away that time of year and not have like endless product releases, which have ha- happened like the last three yeah. years around this time of year. So. Yeah, it was relaxing. Um, I had a fairly good time. Balin had a, a better time than I did. Um, he's not that mobile at the moment, which makes his dive even more impressive. Balin needs to have surgery on his hip in January. Um, so he's that's a, that's a separate issue. But uh, So he can't walk very well, but he can, I guess, swim because there's less load on your hip. It's more of a, a twisting thing. Um, so he's not doing the best. He's not getting around that easily on his feet. So he's looking very forward to January when he does get the surgery. Um, But yeah, it was mostly for him just sitting by the pool, recovering things that I lost, 
uh, <laughs> and just drinking alcohol and relaxing. So he loved it. He, um, he had a really good time, which I'm not really a by the pool kind of guy. I'm more like, yeah, getting out, exploring, doing that, which I did. I didn't do it with Balin. Um, normally I would, but yeah, as I said, he can't, I can't get him on a kayak and stuff like that. It's just too risky um, with, with how his hip is at the moment. So yeah, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds nice. Yeah, I don't yeah. mind. I don't mind a bit of a mixture of those things on a holiday. You know, a bit of mm-hmm. relaxing, a bit of sitting by a pool, a bit of you know mm-hmm. drinking and things like that, and then yeah, getting out and doing things. Not kayaking, mind you. <laughs> other ac- different activities. Um, but yeah, that's that sort of yeah. Sounds like a pretty good yeah. holiday. And yeah, Queensland, north of Australia, you get good weather there. Good beaches. Yeah, mm-hmm. just really good, really good times up up in that way. So yeah, I'm sure that would have been. Would have been very nice, but yeah, back into the grind a bit, and yeah, you managed mm-hmm. to get back just before sort of all the the Christmas obligations and things. So, yep, yes, very much a reset going into to twenty twenty four. Hopefully, more exciting things to talk about as well. Guess what's been happening around here at the moment? I've been well again, mower chat. Oh, been, I do have some mower chat too, but you tell me, you you talk for a bit. I'll talk about the mower chat because out my way. Normally, during the last couple of months, so October, November, early December, it's usually the wettest time of the year, so the most rain. So winter, get a bit of rain as well, but usually during the springtime, that's when it's the weather's a bit warmer, but we also get more rainfall. This October and November and stuff, it's been very dry for most of it. So my, it's getting pretty disappointed because I'd spent all this time maintaining my grass, you know, getting rid of weeds, getting it looking all nice, improving it from... You know, it was a little bit patchy when I first bought the property. It's it's in a bit of a better position now. And yeah, it's just, uh, I was like, oh, no, I'm expecting this to be a hotter summer because of changes in weather patterns and things in Australia. And my grass, oh, it's already looking pretty crap. Like <laughs> this is not going to last through the summer. I'm going to have to start like watering it and stuff. But then luckily the past couple of weeks, it's been really wet. And now suddenly my grass, I've been mowing it and keeping it nice. It's been looking, I'm very happy with it. I've become a grass. Oh, that's good. I become a grass person, which is funny because <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago before I owned a house, I had one of my one of my mates shout out to to Blake. He he had bought a house quite a few years before me, and he'd become like a lawn guy. Like oh, he was watch, yep. watching the YouTube videos. He knew all the different types of lawn, and he'd optimize his lawn for where he lived in the climate and getting into lawn care and everything. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Like <laughs> lawn, who cares, right? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's just it's just a bit of green thing on the ground. And now that I'm a homeowner, it's like 100% get it. I've got lawn. If I'm going to bother having a lawn, I want to make it actually look nice and, and maintain it and stuff. So mm-hmm. yes, now I feel the pain of lack of rain. Grass gets a bit drier and browner, more rain. It's looking much nicer and greener. So that's what's been happening here, I guess, in terms of my, my lawn and mowing stories. What's your mowing stories don't let the brown grass get you down too much because grass grows from its roots it's designed to die back over summer uh so if your whole lawn dies and it's all brown it's a bit of a wasteland as soon as autumn kicks in and you start getting rain it all comes back it's fine uh but you do generally have to do a bit of weed and feeding uh towards the end of autumn to go into winter so it's not you know riddled with weeds but that's just the that's all that's all fun of the, the grass cycle but yeah mine's uh well, my grass story is basically the fact that we've had lots of rain while we're away and it's been relatively warm most of the time or half the time. So that's just a combination for the grass to grow a foot a day. So when I got back, the grass would have been at least a foot high uh, for the most part, quite dense as well. 
Uh, but thankfully, I've got a 31 horsepower mower, and it did chew through <laughs> it. And uh, it's got a thick drive belt, so that uh, did pretty good. Nice. But yeah, nice. I did mow it. T- I, I mowed it the Monday, and then I mowed it again Tuesday just to tidy it up. And it's looking pretty good now. And we've had a little bit of rain since then, so yeah, it's uh, very, very green, very thick. And yeah, but I, I imagine at some point during summer it's going to get battered because it doesn't take long. You get a week of really hot weather, and it starts to yeah. shrink in volume and eventually dries out. But yeah, that mow went well. I sharpened the blades as I explained in the previous podcast. So the combination of sharp blades and long grass uh, worked well for the mower, got through it. So that was exciting. So I was like, oh, I'm glad to be back and mowing the lawns. Things are how they're meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice. Also at my way, um, while you've been on holiday, I've been playing mm-hmm. games and the most late, the latest game that I've been playing Game that I don't think too many people have been playing, just judging by the reaction online, has been Avatar Frontiers uh, of Pandora, which we talked about a bit on the on the live stream. And apparently one of your daughters, is it both your daughters? One of them is uh, playing no, Avatar at the moment? Yeah, I took away a gaming PC for us because, you know, when you go away on holidays, if the weather's bad or there's just, you know, or really it worked out to be the middle of the day when it was stinking hot, which it was most days up there and very muggy. We wanted to keep the girls out of the pool because it's just hard to stop kids from getting sunburnt. Thankfully, they didn't really get sunburnt, but you know, every half hour, my wife's out there trying to cover them head to toe in sunscreen. So to give her a bit of a break during the middle of the day, we're like, come inside at the hottest point, play some computer games. And uh, nice. yeah, the, I, I had the Avatar game on my uh, Uconnect or whatever it is, and I gave Zoe access to that, and she's played most of the way through now, I think. And yeah, she was loving it. So I haven't really played it. I did. I think there was one combat level where it was pretty tough. Uh, they kept reinforcing and stuff. So I had no idea what the buttons were. She told me I did it first go, so she wasn't too impressed with that. Um, so I, to- I, I did make a point of telling her to get good, um, so she didn't oh, find that funny at all. Well, you're uh, obligated whenever I, that happens. I, I know. As as a gamer, you have to do that. You know, you're not a yeah. gamer unless um, you don't do a bit of griefing. So yeah, let her know that she needs to improve um, on her combat side of things. Uh, but yeah, I think she's well and truly into it. And yeah, she's enjoying it. The graphics look really good. We're playing it on one of the OLED panels. Uh, and yeah, it looks really cool. For me, you know, it's it's very much a Ubisoft game. So if you've played a, a quite a number of their games, probably closest to like a Far Cry sort of game. It's not 100% similar to Far Cry. A lot of Far Cry games have like vehicles and I mean, you, you do get this like flying bird thing. I'm not super familiar with Avatar, so apologies for not knowing all the, you know, the names of things, but yeah, this flying fun. bird thing, you can, yeah, you can yeah, fly around. There's like a horse thing later as well. Um, but yeah, not so much of the, the car and combat things, but it's, you know, it's got bases that you go in and as you did, you kind of have to wipe them out and lots of little things on the map for you to discover, you know, lots of icons and that you've got to clear out. Similar to a lot of Ubisoft games, if you're, you know, you're a bit fatigued of the Ubisoft formula. You've played a lot of Assassin's Creeds and Far Cries over the years, then you probably find it pretty similar to that. So your opinion of that will will probably shape that game. But, you know, I'm not someone that finds the Avatar franchise or universe particularly compelling. So I don't really care all that much about the films. Like I watch the films, I'm like, okay, that was a thing. Not so much like a like a Star Wars or something like that where I think it's, more compelling, I guess, maybe even Marvel, though less so these days. Um, I just don't really care about Avatar. So I was going into the game thinking, oh, you know, I don't know, if this is like too much Avatar story, then I'm not going to care at all about this game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm not really caring too much about the story, but I'm, I'm probably about 15 hours in, so maybe like halfway in. And yeah, I've just been enjoying looking at the graphics and just doing some pretty basic like 
running around, doing a few missions, getting to bases, shooting people. It's very basic stuff. Like it's not, it's not a 10 out of 10 game or a 9 out of 10 game in terms of my enjoyment. But considering that not too many people have been talking about the game and that the reviews were pretty mixed on it, I've, I think I've been enjoying it more than I had expected going in. Because really, I only bought it for testing like FSR3 and things. And I was just playing mm-hmm. around. I'm like, wow, the graphics are actually much more impressive than I was expecting. Like I'd seen some of the preview stuff. I'm like, it looks good, but you never know from a preview image exactly how like realistic that is for the real in-game visuals. But I think this would be probably top three most impressive visual visually games that were released this year, along with Alan Wake 2 and Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty. I think both of those games, along with Avatar, Really push your PC pretty pretty heavily. Look nice. FSR three works surprisingly well in this game. Not so much the, the frame generation has a few artifacts as I showed in my video, but the actual quality of the upscaling is pretty good, which I guess shows that potentially FSR is going to improve in future future games and things like that. But yeah, obviously they put a lot of work into this game. It's been been interesting to see how it goes. So hopefully it does okay sales wise to justify all the effort that they put into the visuals and things. But yeah, I think. Maybe if they're making a sequel, a few more compelling storylines and, and mission variety and things wouldn't go astray to make it a more you know, broadly, broad appeal type of game. Mm-hmm. There's been so many good games this year, so many good single player games that there's really no shortage of options for you to choose. And I think a lot of people have chosen to sort of put Avatar to the side or put on the back burner, which is fair enough. But yeah, if you're looking for a sort of game that you really want to enjoy the visuals, push your PC to the limit, and you don't mind the sort of Ubisoft Far Cry type style of game, then yeah, I don't know whether I'd recommend Avatar, but it's certainly a game that, you know, maybe not be as bad as some of the reviews have sort of made it out to be, I guess. All right, that does it for the Hardware Unbox podcast episode 17. Hopefully you all enjoyed a pretty, I don't know, wide variety of things discussed in this episode. A bit of a just a news, catching up with things, recap of the year a little bit, Steve's holiday chat, all sorts of good stuff. So if you do want to, well, support the Hardware Unboxed channel then and, the well, the podcast that we make, please subscribe. Subscribe, get it into your Spotify or on YouTube or just continue to listen to the show. We, we won't be doing a podcast next week because both of us have got a variety of different uh, family obligations to get through in the next week or so. But first week back in January, we'll be just chatting about, I don't know, things that are coming up in the year and all sorts of interesting things. So, yeah, subscribing keeping up with the podcast is a great way to support this podcast to be made and obviously we've got patreon float plane hardware unbox channel monitors unboxed hub clips <laughs> all sorts of good things so thanks for listening to the end thanks for watching we'll see you in the next one hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.